you hear me talk about Facebook a lot. Some of you, and I, and I, I never know whether it's more, it's bigger in, in the United States than it is in Scotland. People have tours, but you know, the Outlander series is within 14 days of, of having their new season. And so they have these advertisements. But they had an advertisement that I thought was very interesting. The actor that plays Jamie said something that I thought was profound. At the beginning of every season, they try to write one sentence that sums up the whole story for that year. Think about that. Taking something that is that big and summing it up. Now that was a lesson I learned in seminary from uh, my professor and the president of the seminary at the time, a former military chaplain who was an airborne chaplain in Korea and all that kind of stuff. But the, one of the things that he taught us Every sermon, you should be able to write down a sentence. So I'm going to give you, I mean, I'm just, I'm not trying to hide it because lots of times when we're preaching, we kind of hide the outline. Then other times we, we put it out there. We put it on a screen. Because those sentences, those complete thoughts are there. And I thought about, okay, I want a, I want a sentence that sums up two sentences. Now, that's, that's kind of an interesting question, isn't it? What I came up with. Redemption secured through the blood of Christ and offered through the Holy Spirit purifies us to serve the living God. See, when I think about that sentence and I think about these Two sentences, these four verses that we're looking at, and I'm, I, I'm, I'm immediately drawn to the end of the passage to serve the living God. That's where we're going to get to. But you see, when we think about that in terms of practicality and, and living it out, is that I am saved to serve the living God. And then we look in scripture to see how we serve the living God. That's not this week, but the idea that I have been saved to serve is something that should be in our hearts, in our minds, every day as Christians. And we think about all the choices people have about what to serve, what to celebrate in, in the world that we live in. The idea that the Holy Spirit purifies us to serve the living God. That can be very disruptive in our lives. When you hear about people who have to walk away from jobs because their company is going in a particular direction or because something is happening. But we're purified to serve the living God. Now, of course, this is a very old story to the Hebrews because they were taken out of a what they're going to end up describing as a comfortable life 
Oh, we want to go back to the onions and leeks and the cucumbers, all that kind of stuff in Egypt, rather than live out here in the desert on manna and water, an occasional pigeon or whatever those birds were. That's why I always smile when I, I hear people, you know, the luxurious life is represented by onions, leeks, cucumbers. But in your life, what does it look like to serve the living God? And what we're going to find out about that in coming sermons. But yet, what I want us to see is that all of us need to be purified, as this text tells us, from the performance culture of dead works. Now, when I, when I looked at this and when I read commentaries, it was like, Fred, what's going on with your thinking compared to what you're reading? See, the modern person would stop, purify our conscience. See, that's where they stop, but they don't read what the writer says. Purify our conscience from dead works. Because, you see, that's what the whole contrast is, is what are the dead works that we're being freed from? What are the attempt to earn salvation When I was coming up in the 50s and 60s in Christianity, there was a, in our culture, um, what we ended up describing as a legalism that, you know, Christians don't do this, Christians don't do that, Christians don't do that. Now, I was raised in a more evangelical strain, which was more focused on evangelism and other things. And we didn't have, you know, there were, you know, my parents kept me on a tight rope. But... I never associated my behavior with my salvation because I always knew that my salvation was in Jesus Christ. And you've heard me say it when I was seven years old and saw in Look or Life magazine that child that looked to be my age in, in Hungary that had died. I knew at seven if I died, I would go to heaven because Jesus died on the cross for my sins. That was my simple understanding of salvation, that I could end up like that child because after all, I practice monthly for atom bomb drills. I put my hand on the back of my neck and or this and believe that would protect me from a blast that would blow the glass in. We grew up in a culture where we knew we could die because they prepared us to die every month through those drills. But I knew as a young child, my memory goes back, that because Christ died on the cross for my sins, I would go to heaven. But we need to be dead, you know, purified from a culture of dead works. Now, I have isolated three things, and yes, they all have S's. That's kind of a, a joke among preachers. You see, one of the things that can be a dead work is just showing up. See, if the people of the writing to it say, okay, if I show up at the temple three times a year, if I bring the right animal and I do all of this, if I just show up, I'm going to be okay. How many people in describing when some celebrity dies or somebody close to them dies, we romanticize that we don't think about it through the gospel? You 
The second thing after showing up is sacrifice. If I am willing to give, well, I, I give money for this, I give money for that, I give time for this. I'm willing to sacrifice, but yet am I willing to sacrifice to earn my salvation or do I sacrifice because of my salvation? We have to be willing to look at that in our motives. And the last S is the way we use scriptures, whether it's in singing or prayers, that we can use scriptures as kind of a way to try to earn our way in. I, I read my Bible every day, I pray every day, I go to church and sing. You know, I do all of these things, but if we do those as a way of trying to earn our way into heaven, earn our way into a relationship with God, it's going to fail. It's dead works. It's like bringing that cow, bringing that goat, bringing that sheep, bringing that oil, bringing that grain, thinking this is what's going to get me into heaven. He talks about dead works. And looking back, the legalism that was in our culture in Christianity in the United States was a performance Christianity. It was not a gracious Christianity. It was completely blindsided by my generation coming of age in the 60s with the hippies and the drug culture and rock and roll and the sexual revolution and all the things that just kind of turned the world upside down and ripped out its heart. And left us with a generation that was so wounded, self-inflicted wounds, that for a long time we had the highest divorce rate, we had the highest abuse rate, we had the highest addiction rates. All of the self-destruction that came out of the rebellion was there. And our Christianity didn't know how to respond to it. We did not know how at that point to love people that were so deeply wounded and so deeply affected by self-inflicted wounds. We had not been broken by God's grace to love people who needed to be broken by God's grace. That all of us need to be purified. All of us need to make sure it's not dead works. But see, when I look at the second two sentences that I've created, that one is about alone and one is about once only, that is something that you will hear me say again and again about what Christ did, that he alone is the only way. And that is something that our generation, our culture, will not accept, except God changes our hearts. That he alone brings us salvation. That he accomplishes our redemption. Look at verse 14. How much more would the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God? If, if you said that to your neighbor, if you said that in public, if you said that in a public meeting with politicians or other people, journalists who were there, people would say verse 14 is completely Irrelevant and not true in our world, but yet it comes at the center of the gospel. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God? That is a sentence that is so full of biblical narrative and depth 
that it's hard for people to accept because it reinforces by his own blood. He offered himself. He offered his blood. See, we are so far removed from the human sacrifices of the Druids and the Vikings and and people like that. But Christ became our sacrifice for us by his blood, through the Spirit. And I don't think we can make it, you know, we can sanitize it. We need to have the offensive nature of the cost of Christ so that we can forgive, have our sins forgiven. That it was by his blood he did it himself. He alone. See, that's one of the things that we need to remember by being alone. It means it never has to be repeated. There are no more sacrifices needed to be offered. So Christ is the high priest alone, accomplishes our redemption by his own blood. And the last sentence is, the once only self-sacrifice, Christ as high priest, is what secures eternal redemption. This once only. See, we can't add anything to it. All of our good deeds, all of the things that we might try, we cannot add anything to it. It happened once in history. See, what that does for us is it it helps us understand that I don't have to add anything to what Jesus Christ has done. I can trust him that he has done it all. Verse 12, he entered once for all into the holy places. I think it's, it's... Powerful that the writer reminds us that it was a tent that God gave us and then later on he said, okay, I'll let you have a temple because they wanted to be like the rest of the world. But yet in heaven, what's in heaven? A tent, a tabernacle. Remember when Jesus went up on the mountain and there were these three tabernacles, these three tents, getting us ready for the big tent that he would go into. And what's the purpose of the tent? It's to go into the very presence of God, the most holy of holy places. So when we think about our worship, when we think about coming together as a people, we recognize that we are able to go into that most holy place, even though we don't see a tent, we don't see a big building. We trust the word of God that I am in the presence of the true and the living God. That it was a self-sacrifice as Christ the high priest. He gave himself. He gave us a foreshadowing of that in John chapter 10 when he talks about the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Then he takes it up again, but he lays down his life for the sheep. That what Christ did on the cross, what Christ did for our sins was a self-substitutionary sacrifice. And here it reminds us that he was our high priest in doing this. And then the last thing in this third point is that it secures eternal redemption. This is a verse that should strengthen and encourage our faith to know that he has provided my salvation. 
It is a gift. It is a security. It is in the covenant perspective of his commitment to us, bringing us into his family. It secures eternal redemption. And then I come back to the end of it, that we are purified to serve the living God. Now, I think if I mention the name Oswald Chambers, many of you will know about it. Of course, his book is there because he had a wife who took shorthand and then after he died, created the book because the daughter and the mother needed something to live off of. But yet he talks about people who are feeling dejected. Now, whether we think of that as depression or loneliness, he offers this up. Sometimes it is because people say, I must have this at once. Or they want an answer from God about a question that they're raising that they don't want. That they want an answer from, but they're not willing to look in Scripture. They're not willing to listen to God as God. They want to listen to God as their answer, their provider, to satisfy their needs, not to create in them a willingness to serve the true and the living God. See, we have been trained by our culture to be customers. Scripture wants to bring you through the redemption of Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, to be the children of God that are there to serve. And sometimes that service is costly. But yet it is something that when you wake up in the morning, when you wake up tomorrow morning, one of your prayers could be, God, what do you want me to do to serve you today? Help me to see the people you want me to talk to. Help me to see the people I need to pray for. Help me to see the people that all I need to do is be there for them. How much more will the blood of Christ? That has to be part of our lives to think about the blood of Christ because it's what scripture brings to us when we talk about the death. And sometimes it's hard when scripture gives us very visual images like the blood of Christ. But he gives us those images so that we have a powerful word that secures the fact that he has secured redemption. He is there to purify our consciousness from dead works so that we might serve the living God.
Let us pray. Father, we pray that as we go from this, that we indeed would hear those words echoing in our minds and in our hearts, that we want to serve you. It's not about our reputation. It's not about people looking up to us. It's about people looking to you. And so, Father, we pray these things. In Jesus' name, amen.